2: Hey everybody. Today's guest is Chrissy Costanza, lead vocalist for the Poughkeepsie New York rock band Against the Current. Together we dissect the inspiration, writing, recording, and release of their fan favorite, Wasteland, taken from the 2016 debut album, In Our Bones. Chrissy talked about the arduous writing sessions that led up to the recording of the album, how at times she was disillusioned by the process of it all, and how ultimately she channeled that into the lyrical content for Wasteland. She touched on the importance that both producer Andrew Goldstein and co-writer Sipe had on the song, Fully Coming Together. We both agreed that it's the fans that ultimately make a song or a band a success, that loyal following of people who buy the records, concert tickets, and merchandise. They are the ones who truly dictate your staying power in the music business. And who knew that all the recording studios in Los Angeles were once strip clubs? Well, that's our theory anyways. For all this and much more, don't you dare go anywhere. Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. You may not know this, but I actually, uh, your record label, Fueled by Ramen, I'm going to hold this up for you. This was the first release ever for Fueled by Ramen. It was a Chinese food uh, takeout container. That's
0: <laughs> the, awesome. There's a cassette
2: in there and there's a menu with all the releases at the time. Uh, that label was was started out of my apartment uh, probably around the time you were born in 1996.
0: That's uh, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I was 95, so I was a fresh one-year-old.
2: You were a freshman. Uh, yes. But yes, just wanted to, to, to bring that up to you that uh, we so have funny. we have a little weird shared history here, although uh, a quarter century apart. But uh, the band Against the Current formed in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, yeah. in, to, in 2011, Poughkeepsie is a very interesting place. I've been there. I play, played the chance before.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's definitely. And not only is there the chance, but um, upstairs in that venue, there's the little venue where you know when you're starting out, you play. And, I believe uh, it's called the, the Loft. The Loft. Oh yeah. There's a pole right smack dab in the middle of the stage. It's it's a whole vibe. You have to load in is up a flight of super narrow, creaky stairs. Like it's just it's it's a vibe.
2: I never, I never played the loft, but I saw uh, after our show one night this band from New Jersey, a metal band called Overkill, played up there. And I don't know how they got the drum set in the room. The drum set alone uh, pretty much filled that place. But, Poughkeepsie, uh, New York is 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 especially that area is a very interesting place. So the fact that you guys uh, formed formed your band there was was of, of interest to me. Uh, you gained a, a sizable online following after posting uh, covers of various popular songs on YouTube. Uh, and of course, we just talked about a feel by Ramen, which you signed to in 2015 after releasing two self-released uh, EPs. Yeah. Your debut album came out in May of 2016. That was followed by Past Lives in September 2018. Uh, you have four EPs total with a fifth one slated for release on July 23rd, 2021 called Fever. And mm-hmm. uh, that's your first EP on Feel by Rama. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting too. It's It's kind of a A weird release as well just because we're so it's being released as an ep but then there's actually a second ep that's coming as well that's going to complete the the title so fever is only the first half of the full album title and so once the second ep comes out it's going to be re-rolled together on all the dsps as a full uh 14 song album
2: i'm finding that with a lot of more no pun intended, current artists, you know, bands that that have been around the last 10 years or so, you look at their discography and it's crazy. It used to be bands had five, six, seven, eight albums and one or two EPs. And now it's reversed because we're in such a a singles driven market that I went and looked and found it interesting. You have five EPs to to two albums, but I guess this is going to kind of turn itself into an album.
0: Yeah, it will. Um, And I think part of the reason we love albums like we grew up um we grew up with you know with bands that released albums and where the album was the most precious thing that a band could do especially your first album uh, i remember will my my drummer would always repeat this one quote that he had heard over and over you have your whole life to make your first album you have your whole life to make your first album and then you usually only have like 2 years for your second album cuz your label's like let's get it out there so, um, yeah, albums are such a precious thing. But but this year, it's just a, such a bizarre year this year and last year. And without being able to tour, I think people are trying to get creative as well and, and find ways to produce more content with with less or with the same amount of songs. So for us, this was a really fun way of doing it, because instead of doing one album and three music videos, you know, three songs that get released individually and whatnot, we're actually we've already done four videos for just the one EP. And then we'll do another four for the second EP. So more songs kind of get their moment, but we still get to have the creative vision of an entire album at the end of it. Um, Because I think, I still think like the idea of just like these branded eras for bands are so, I don't know. They're so special. They're special for me. They're special for fans. Like some of my favorite bands, you know, uh, not everyone listens to a band for their entire life. If the band's around for a long time, you know, as as the band gets older, they change. Sometimes you fall into a band later. Sometimes you love a band earlier in their in their time. And I just think not only is the band itself special, but so are the individual eras within the band. And I think if we got rid of albums completely, we would just lose that. So I I kind of like that that we're uh, we're trying to have our cake and eat it too here, where we're releasing the two EPs, but it's coming together as an album.
2: Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I I, I definitely feel the same way. And uh, our producer and I, Chris, were talking before uh, you came on about that ver- that very thing. Is the the art of the album is is yeah. something that's still still very important to me. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, you joined the band in 2011, and and Dan on guitar and Will drums. They were mm-hmm. already had against the current. So how how did, how did that come about? How did how did you end up finding these guys or finding you?
0: Yeah, they so they weren't called Against the Current yet. They actually had a name. They were called that same Sunrise. Um, which we are very happily changed once I joined the band, (laughs) but they had been in bands together since they were nine years old, which is crazy. They, they lived two blocks away from each other growing up. Dan moved, you know, in two blocks away from Will, they met in school and Will was like, Hey, you should play guitar. And so he, he picked up a guitar and they started bands. My favorite band name they ever had was when they were 11, they had a band name called nightlight brigade. Which I think is incredibly self-aware for eleven-year-olds, like to name a band. Because you know, when you're eleven, you're like, no, I don't use a nightlight. I'm, I'm tough. And I thought that was so funny. But we kind of actually met over MySpace um, a little bit, half through a mutual friend and half through MySpace. R- right at the tail end of MySpace, really. I had a MySpace page that I had just like one little garage band demo I had recorded on, and my our mutual friend was like, hey, we, you know to to the guys, they were like, I know this girl, you guys don't have a singer right now. Like I know this girl that sings like you should, you should check her out. And, uh, and yeah, so I walked into my mom's bedroom at like 11 PM one night, you know, like 15 years old. And, uh, I come from a pretty like conservative family, you know, like they weren't like overly strict, but you know, I was, it was pretty, pretty clean. You know, there's very low tolerance for, for any bullshit. And I remember walking in and being like, Hey mom, like, I met these guys in a band on the Internet. Uh, Will you drive me an hour and a half north to Poughkeepsie, a place that I had never heard of um, so I can go meet them and maybe be in a band? And my mom's face was just like, what the fuck? Like,
2: (laughs) yeah, you you, you just threw like 400 red flags all at once.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And but you know what what ended up happening is uh, they actually the guys came down to me. Dan's mom drove them down to New Jersey and they hung out at the house for the day and my mom met Dan's mom and yeah and it was we played some some covers on an acoustic guitar in the basement to see if we would vibe and it kind of just went from there I was technically auditioning for the band uh, the first time I went to like band practice and they never told me if I got the gig so still to this day we don't really know if I'm in the band or not
2: yeah, well, two full length records <laughs> and five EPs. You know, you're you're doing you're doing something right. You
0: never know; they could turn around and be like, "Hey, man, it's just not going to work. We don't think it's a good fit."
2: So, uh, when researching uh, for this episode, I, I I came across that you you play piano. Obviously, you sing. Uh, is piano your only instrument, or do you do you have other instruments that you play?
0: I actually play guitar better than I play piano. Um, I don't play either well, though. I I started playing piano when I was about seven, and then when I was nine, I was just like guitar is so cool it's the coolest instrument i want to learn guitar and my mom compromised with me getting me an acoustic to start she got me a three-quarter size um guitar and uh, a big baby tailor, but like a three-quarter size one and to this day it still fits because i'm very small so three-quarter <laughs> size is just my size in general um and then i i remember getting my first electric guitar though and being like lit up my life i was i was like this is the coolest thing i've ever touched and it was like a squire. It was like two hundred dollars.
2: That's awesome. Do you find yourself gravitating more towards guitar when you're writing, or or do you leave it up to to, to Dan and, and Will to to write, or do you actually I, I write lyrics, write songs, both?
0: So yeah, I'm definitely more of a top liner. I'm more lyrics and and melodies. When I met the guys at that point, they were so far ahead of me musically, but they weren't weren't vocally. So. I kind of just, we, we all fell into our respective roles. They're the combination of the two of them. Will's a, a phenomenal writer and producer and, and Dan really compliments him in so many ways. So um, for me, it's more like if I'm looking for, for intervals or something, I'll use a keyboard. If I'm like, what would be a cool interval to start this chorus? Uh, like if the praise here, like, what would be an interesting jump to get to the chorus yeah so more so more so that but i'm usually writing with them or like over some other pre-existing progression
2: okay so the because the song I noticed was credited, and the song we're going to preview uh, today, mm-hmm. discuss today, is called Wasteland. Was mm-hmm. credited to yourself, Daniel Will, and of course Andrew Goldstein, uh, who was yep. one of the producers on the record. And we've talked about Andrew on the show before. We uh, uh, he produced the song Monsters from All Time Low, and yep. I had I had Alex from All Time Low on here, and of course uh, Andrew, who is also known as uh, is is it friend F R N D?
0: Yeah, guess?
2: yeah, uh, <laughs> friend. <laughs> he's uh, written and produced for Katy Perry, Britney Spears, Lincoln. Park uh, Demi Lovato you name it uh, and yeah. of course you also had Tommy English who I did some research mm-hmm. I did some research on Tommy and uh, he's done uh, a bunch of stuff for Andrew McMahon uh, Kay Flay who we've had on the show Carly yeah. Ray Jepsen and, and Adam Lambert but uh, you Daniel Will and Andrew were credited and there was also somebody named Sipe S I P E.
0: Yeah, Nolan Sipe. He's a he's a top liner who we've done actually a couple songs with at this point. He's been he's has a couple credits um, on both of our full lengths, and he's just awesome. And then the combination of him and Andrew together, they have a great synergy. So it was it was. It was just a perfect match made in heaven.
2: Cool. So, do you remember when the track was brought to your your attention, like when you first heard it and and were you then yeah. were you then entrusted to write lyrics and melodies over it, or was was there anything in place when the, when the song came to you?
0: Dude, I remember this day so so well because we had this was at the end of the writing like the writing time for our first record, and I remember being so burnt out when we did our our second EP right before we had signed we did it in nine days. We went in with zero songs pre-written and we just, nine days, we would record, write the song and record it in the same day. And two days, two of those days were for, for drums. And so this time it was a very different experience. We were in like 40 writing sessions, seven days a week, 12 hour writing sessions of different writer every single day, just, you know, just freshly signed to a label running the gauntlet. And it was exhausting and it it was a little discouraging at times too. I really felt like the creative energy had been sucked out of me and that it was uh it was more of just running a marathon at all times. And we had finished the album. We were like, "All right, we have our our songs. This is the album. It's done." Uh, you know, shut the door, or whatever. And then for whatever reason, it was like, "Oh, you know, just go in one day with, with Nolan and and Andrew. You guys have a couple more days in LA. It's, you know, free day, whatever. Just why don't you guys just, you know, go and just see if anything happens. If not, it's cool. The album's done. And then we wrote Wasteland that day. So I, I went in. I remember the studio really well. It was a really cool studio. It was super like dark and uh, it felt like, felt like a lounge like it almost felt like you know what it actually honestly felt like a strip club it had like it was super dark (laughs) it had like a bunch of like couches that felt like like vip tables like it really did have a like a very strip club if it was in hollywood
2: or la there's a good chance it was a strip club at some point yeah
0: (laughs) maybe like you know it's a it's a studio until like 8 9 p.m and then they start turning it over but it was it was awesome it had just such a, a good energy about it and i think it was like, I don't even remember what time of year it was. I think it might've been December, but we, yeah, we went in and I don't fully remember what existed in the track yet, but I just remember so well, Nolan had the idea. Nolan Saip had the idea to do the, and he like the way he kind of like threw the top was mm-hmm. like, it was just like, Oh, that's so pretty. And we didn't know if it would actually fit with our, so- our sound. We were like, is this too sweet? Because we were trying to be, you know, a little bit more of a rock band. We had Running With The Wild Things on that album, which was like. But I don't know. I was so addicted to it. I was like, I want to write this song. And actually, people didn't want it on the record. I remember a lot of pushback to have it go on the record. And, and you, I say, was... you say
2: people like people from, from Fueled by Ramen because this track is actually from the, the 2016 release in our bones yes. and something I noticed. And again, this isn't as important today with albums not being uh, as prominent as they used to be with, with it being a single driven market. But I noticed this song out of 12 songs was buried at number nine on the record. Yeah. Typically you don't do that, you know, and, and this song has been a fan favorite and been, been a hit for you, for you guys. Uh, has over 5 million YouTube views. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I, I've seen the live, I, I, I researched the live performances. I mean, this is a bona fide fan favorite.
0: Yeah, I I don't remember, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus because I can't remember who specifically was pushing back, but I remember a vast majority of the voices, um, whether it was management or label, or even I think Dan and Will might not have been too crazy about it, I don't think. Most people were kind of just like, eh, about it. And I was like, no, 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 it has to go on the record. It has to go on the record. I was like, this is my favorite song I've ever written. I was like, it has to go on the record. And it ended up on the record. But yeah, like you said, it was kind of just like, it was on the record as an album track, not supposed yeah. to be a single or anything it was just kind of buried in there and i really pushed for it to get uh, a music video and i was just like that i this is this is a song i was like the fans are gonna love this and i think it was it was a bit of a risk because it did have a little bit of a um we do we rock it up a lot when we play it live, but in the actual track, it has like a very EDM structure to it. It has that build and the drop, and not it like does. a traditional chorus at all. And it was definitely a risk for our first album, especially on a label on the label, which is why I don't think the label would have taken a risk pushing it as a single, but it was like an immediate fan favorite, like you said. It's we've closed with that song either at the end of the regular set or at the end of the encore so many times since then. I think it's really rare. I don't even remember if we if there's a time that we haven't closed with Wasteland, even either at the end of their full set or at the end of the the encore set, because it's just, it's just a fan favorite. And it always just feels like an electric moment
2: good for you for fighting for it, and I've, we've heard that a lot on this show. Uh, uh, we, we had Rise Against On, and one of their biggest their biggest hit is called Savior, and yeah. <laughs> the, the label, everyone around him was like, no, 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 and it was buried on the record and it became the biggest song of their career, so so good for you yeah. for fighting for it, because it's obvious that uh, that the fans absolutely love it, and I I, I want to jump into to the track uh, now. It's 3 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, there's this 10-second intro, which is this, like, hypnotic synth part, uh, and at the 9-second Mark, right before it kicks in, there's like a reverse symbol that that brings yeah. you in, that bring, brings yeah. you into that uh, into that first verse. Remember the structure of the song? I know you said you don't remember it initially coming to you, but did this go through a lot of rewrites or was this kind of how it was when you got it to Andrew Goldstein and we got it into the studio?
0: We actually wrote it with Andrew and Nolan. So we, like, there was nothing until that day. That oh, day we okay. started from scratch all five of us. Yeah. Wow. There might have been I don't remember if if Andrew or Will might have had like some little idea there like like I think there was like the maybe the guitar riff that opening like do 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 like little thing mm-hmm. but besides that we built it all that day. So okay. that's how we did both of our albums with our our producers is we actually wrote with them which is why they're all credited as writers and not just as producers is because we wrote all day with them.
2: Do you remember who came up with like the majority of the concept for the lyrics, like the title Wasteland? Where did that come from?
0: So that was that one was me, actually. I I remember, like I said, it was at the end of the first album writing cycle. And I was so drained and so kind of just so like disillusioned with the music industry, I think. And I was like, this is how people like write music. I was like, this isn't this isn't like creating art. This is just taxing we're just day in and day out writing and i remember being even more shocked at like because the writers aren't just doing that for an album they're doing that 365 days a year they're just going in and and you know shitting out lyrics shitting out melodies and then going on to the next one and i was like is there passion in this still is it is there you know is there drive and ultimately i found that yeah of course there is and you know those people are just overflowing with creativity where they can do it every single day but for me i was just like so drained and so disillusioned. And I remember thinking like, I don't want to fall for any more lies or I don't want to fall for anything else. Um, I don't want to wake up where all the, you know, all the, all the glitter and glamour and everything that I had, I had dreamed of is just gone and it's just barren. It's just a wasteland. And so, you know, there's a, A lot of a lot of the references are kind of the druggy type references where it's like, you know, you take the pill and and then, you know, everything's kind of candy colored and uh, looks pretty and nice. And then you wake up at the end of it and nothing's what it was. And kind of just saying, like, I don't want to I don't want to swallow that pill. I don't want to wake up in Wasteland.
2: So this is kind of about the disillusionment you were having at the time of the music industry being the yeah. Wasteland. Well, that's cool, because I, I, I really thought this was a, a relationship song, which it is a relationship yeah. with how you were having how you were feeling with the label. But and I can say with having been in those writing sessions, I've done those before and it does start to feel mechanical. But mm-hmm. and you, you don't know how much you learn and how much you grow as a songwriter until weeks months years later when you can reflect uh, yeah and when you, when, we, when you step away from it and I, and I I learned so much but when you're in the tornado I hated it I couldn't yeah. stand it I felt like I every bit of creativity was being sucked out of me because it, it was becoming what I said a moment ago mechanical uh, getting into the first verse uh, the, the synth part continues over the programmed uh, drums and, and and the bass here and we're into verse one
0: I, was, I lost. Is this paradise or a darker side, candy-coated lips, you're the sweetest kiss, but a bad trip.
2: And I'll have you set up these lyrics. Have I lost my mind? Is this paradise or a darker side, candy-coated lips, you're the sweetest kiss, but a bad trip.
0: Yeah. So like I was saying, very much the the druggy references, like if you've ever if you've ever gone out and uh, and done drugs, obviously not me, mom, America's sweetheart, mom, <laughs> love you, mom. Um, but it's kind of just it, it's that thing. It's like there's those moments where what I was picturing in my head the whole time, I'm like a very like visual person. I always have like a color or an image or something in my head when I'm writing, but you know, when you, you, the scene in the movie, when the person's out on drugs at the party or the club or something, and everything's kind of blurred and like all the lights are like trailing and everything. That's kind of the, like the imagery that was going on in my head. And it was, it was really that like, is this paradise or a darker side? Like it could go either way. I can't tell if I'm If I'm exactly where I want to be, if I'm in paradise, if I'm in this amazing place, because, you know, this is all I dreamed of since I was a little girl is being in the music industry, being in, in these writing rooms, being signed to a label, being on tour, or is this just something that's way, way darker and isn't what it seemed at all?
2: Again, when I was going through this song, I was like, oh, yeah, this has to be about, uh, you know, uh, a love yeah. rela- love relationship gone awry, which that, that's why I love I love breaking down lyrics because you never you never know. And it's really cool yeah. that it was it was this abstract and it was about what you were feeling with the with the music business. Getting into pre-chorus number one and all all the lines with the harmonies on this, they have yeah. your lead vocal and your harmony panned pretty hard left and right. And it's cool because when the other lines come in, it hits you right between the eyes that center yeah. vocal and it's a really it's a really neat way that this was mixed the lyric is changing faces know the name but i just can't place it slurring phrases took a step but i can't retrace it tell me take this but i don't want to wake up in and the first third and fifth lines are all those lines with the with the harmonies that are pan left and right that that's really cool yeah. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Saradici, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there. And then the last line of the pre-chorus, but I don't want to wake up in that's actually the start of the chorus
0: yeah 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 it kind of leads into that drop yeah so those lyrics were more that that's exactly kind of what you were talking about with the tornado is i was kind of in the same thing the first year two years signed to a a label everything was so different everything was just a whirlwind even the process of signing to a label i remember going to a, a different label not fueled by ramen and their whole thing, they were a wine and dine label. So instead of like, you know, meeting them and, you know, showing them what they would do for your band, they're just like, oh, we're just going to take you to really expensive dinners and like give you some champagne. And I'm like sitting here and I'm thinking about like, well, how is this going to help against the current actually do anything? But I just remember being in that whirlwind and meeting so many so many people. And that was kind of the changing faces, know the name, but I just can't place it. Slurring phrases took a step, but I can't retrace it. It's just more like... You're just kind of in this like complete chaos all the time. So many people passing by, so many faces going by you. I know I've met you. I know I've met you. I've met so many people at this point. I can't remember who's who anymore. And I kind of can't figure out how I got here, which is the the took a step, but I can't retrace it. And then the tell me, take this was kind of just because everyone has the answer for some reason in in the music industry. And the reality of the music industry is no one has the answer. No one knows what's going to actually work at the end of the day. People have bet so much on a song for it to go nowhere. And people have put no faith in a song, no money behind it, just for it to explode, I mean today it explode on TikTok. You know, no no marketing budget, no no music video ahead of time, no styling, nothing. Like none of all of those the bells, whistles, and things that you put on things, none of that. And it becomes a, look at Olivia Rodrigo, biggest artist in the world right now, because of a song that blew up on TikTok. i be so okay. Now that I'm gone. I guess you didn't mean what you wrote in that song about me. You said forever now I drive alone past your street. Everyone was telling me, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Take this, take this, take this, take this. I have the pill. I have the pill. I have the pill. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you famous. And I kind of at one point realized it was like, there's something not right here. No one has these answers. What, what,
2: what, What no one ever realizes is your fans make you famous. Nobody Mm -hmm. else does. It's the fans that buy the concert tickets, buy the T-shirts that support you, that follow you on on social media these days. And and I've always maintained that the the fans are who make you, uh, for lack of a better word, a star. You know, Uh, we we get into the the first chorus and, you know, something about a, a chorus. And I use this this term. This chorus is very simple but you're saying yes. you're saying what you have to say there's not a lot lyrically going on but we we come out of that pre-chorus which is actually as i said a moment ago the first line but i don't want to wake up in your wasteland and the first two lines here are just single piano notes with the underlying synth and your mm-hmm. vocal harmonized and you say your wasteland again it's it's harmonized and then it's just you alone i don't want to wake up in your wasteland I don't wanna- On the third, your wasteland, that's when this buildup of a snare drum, this roll comes in and it's like, okay, we're going somewhere, we're going somewhere and it keeps building. You say your wasteland again and then the very last line you say, no, I don't want to wake up in your, and that, that builds, that drum part like builds to this crescendo, like something big or heavy is about to happen and then it all just bottom falls out.
0: Then it It, doesn't. Yeah.
2: yeah, (laughs) Yeah. No, but it's very, it was very surprising. I, yeah. I was, I'm like, oh, this is going to go into this huge. Now the big guitars are coming. Nope. It went straight into verse two.
0: And that's, what's funny. Cause it's kind of counterintuitive to everything that we've ever been told about songwriting is like, get to the chorus as fast as possible. Get to that big moment as fast as possible. And right when we're building into that moment, cause in some ways, you could make the argument that there is no chorus. You could make the argument that the your wasteland part is a pre-chorus, and that the part before it is just like a <laughs> B verse. It's yeah, just you know yeah. verse A, verse B, pre-chorus, and then it could have been an actual chorus, but then just nothing happens. Everything drops out. Well,
2: thanks, Chrissy. You're kind of doing my job <laughs> for me right now. You're you're <laughs> you're analyzing this kind of how exactly what I was going to say. The the this is the chorus, but it felt like it was really building up to something. Was there ever talk of it going somewhere or was that the idea to kind of have the bottom drop out and go into verse two?
0: Yeah, I mean, of course. And I think everyone kind of knew that was uh, a, a bizarre choice to make. And especially, um, especially cause we were, like I said, more of really going more for the rock route on, on, album 1, you know, album 2 we we deviated went a little bit more pop. We're back on the rock now, but it was it was one of those things where people were like you got to give them a chorus. Like what are you doing? And and we in the studio were just like, no, this is good. This is good. Like this is building that tension, making them wait for it. But like waiting all the way until the bridge essentially for that drop to actually hit is yeah. a risky move. It's like however like 2 minutes or something into the song, whatever it is, and you're saying like how are you going to keep people there for that but once it pays off it feels so good and once it pays off live it feels a hundred times better than even the recorded version that drop feels massive it's there's i get butterflies every time we play it to this day and there are so many songs that you become numb to that you just play over and over and over, and they're so deeply ingrained in your muscle memory. And even though you love them, it just kind of it's it's muscle memory at that point. You just you know it. It's it's like breathing or walking or riding a bike for anything else. This song is just it always feels special to me. It always makes me makes me feel like uh, like I'm falling in love.
2: Well, that that's cool. Draw, uh, getting into verse number two here, uh, I'll read the lyric and have you uh, break this one down. Uh, yeah. twisted twisted fantasy in your ecstasy. You're no good for me. Just behind the wall, it's not a dream at all. It's a free fall. And on free fall, there's this cool delay they have on your voice. I really really mm-hmm. like whatever happens there. It's a, it's a cool, cool moment. Yeah.
0: It's a fantasy in your ecstasy. You're no good for me. Just behind the wall. It's not a dream at all. It's a free fall. so also the cool part too is um at the end of the chorus it goes no i don't want to wake up in your twisted fantasy like so it kind mm-hmm. of drops it. it like that line continues out of the chorus in a way which i thought instead of saying i don't want to wake up in your wasteland it goes twisted fantasy
2: which is cool because um, because out of the pre-chorus you're, you're getting that line that sets up the chorus and now out of the chorus you're getting the line that sets up sets up the verse
0: yeah, so it's basically saying I don't want to wake up in your twisted fantasy. Like this is your fantasy, not mine. Mm. Um, and then the just behind the wall bit it's kind of it's very much like Wizard of Oz, man, behind man behind the curtain. It's like you think Oz is so great and powerful. We think the record labels and the execs and all these people when you're young you you're like these people know, you know, these are the people that make you famous. And then once you get into it you're kind of just like it is very man behind the curtain. And and don't get me wrong, I love the head of our label, Mike Easterlin. I love him. He's like, he's like a father figure to me. He has been there from uh for me through thick and thin. So like I would never ever in any way bash like people's character. But I just think that when you're young, you grow up idolizing record labels when you want to be in a band. Especially ba- especially labels like Fuel by Ramen that had such like and like the hopeless records. If you grew up a scene kid, like you grew up idolizing these labels because they housed Every band you know, you yeah. know, everyone was either on Hopeless, Fearless, fueled by all of those those records had such uh, record labels had such strong identities to them. It's not like you know you could be on like Capitol Records, isn't? It's not the same thing. It's just kind of like oh, that's a big label. Whatever. That was
2: my first label, and I agree.
0: There you go. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not like you. So like. If I grew up a less than Jake fan, I'm not like so much at like Capitol Records fan. But people like Fueled by Ramen had fans. Hopeless yeah, had fans. If, if, if Fearless like, had fans. Yeah. If
2: you like, the yeah. if you like the, the you like the label, you like the catalog. You like what yeah. was on the on the label. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Fat Records is another one of those labels that that I grew up on that uh definitely if you, you you could you could count on if the label released something, 90% chance you were gonna like what what was on the label.
0: Yeah. So you grew up idolizing this as a kid, and I think like as I got older, I was like, it is a man behind the current thing. No one has the right answers, you know? And at the end of the day, it's what you said. It is the fans. What those labels did right is by creating that culture, the fans paid attention to the new signees, which a lot of other labels didn't have. So they, they did that right. But I think it's just it's super naive as a kid growing up thinking like, I got to I got to meet the, the guy in the suit who's going to hand me a business card and be like, call me kid. I'm going to make you famous.
2: Yeah, it uh, doesn't doesn't always uh, work that way, as as you know. The pre-chorus number two is the uh, same as pre-chorus one. The mm-hmm. harmonies are, are, are panned off uh, the same. Uh, it's pretty much the same as pre-chorus one. I'll read the lyric again. Changing faces, know the name, but I just can't place it. Slurring phrases, took a step, but can't retra- but I can't retrace it. Tell me, take this, but I don't want to wake up in, and. Because the chorus is so simplistic in nature of not having much lyrics beyond your wasteland and I don't want to wake up in, was there any talk here that you remember of maybe changing the pre-chorus here and adding some different lyrics here? Or was it just always the same?
0: Definitely. I mean, if you like look at the lyrics, I have them up on the side as well. Like if you look at the lyrics of the song, it's like a thin column of lyrics. Like there's very few lines that even are longer than six, seven words. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely remember that conversation being like, "Oh, should we add something new here? Like, you know, should we add uh, more lyrics, more visuals, more analogies?" But the song was so abstract um, in general, and you know, it's it's very vague. It's all it's all a, a feeling of, of of like just I don't know. It's it, it's me- meant to make you feel something. It's not supposed to be overly specific. I think at that point, if you add more kind of vague uh, analogies in there you're just going for it to show off what you can do. You're just like, let me show you how many analogies I can come up with. We had already kind of done the, the druggy references and, and made it feel very trippy and, and that thing. it's like, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? And to me, that's the most important thing is like, if the point came across there's no point in continuing to explain it
2: yeah I'll be the first one to tell you if there's not enough there or if there's too much and I, I think that this is this is perfect the way that, that it is I don't think you needed Thank any, you. any more uh, information there uh, we get into chorus number two which uh, this chorus is is pretty much the same as, as chorus one that drum buildup comes in halfway through and here at the end when you say no I don't want to wake up in your now we're in the bridge oh, different now the big drums come in the big crash cymbals happening over a new drum groove and a new synth pattern and there's these uh ooh, 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 vocals that come in yeah here. they come out come out of nowhere it's like oh what's that and in between that you're saying i don't want to wake up in your and then the the four oos, the backing vocals uh come back in i always laugh at my writing here ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> but the the oos are there and then this next part is really interesting because I wrote that this is a continuation of the bridge, but it's almost like a third pre-chorus because you're getting in a lot of the you know a lot of the same lyrics as as the pre-chorus.
0: Yeah. Changing faces. It's the same lyrics uh, without the the middle parts of the first of the first two lines. You know, it's just changing faces, slurring phrases. Nothing changes. And then goes into that last chorus, which is finally like the chorus that really pays off, too.
2: Do you know, I, I've been doing this over a year now, this podcast, you're the first person ever to read the lyrics back to me. I always read them. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm also like, lyrics are my favorite thing in the world. So like, I'm like, when I listen to a song for the first time, I Google the lyrics and read the lyrics as I'm listening to the song. Like, it's, That's it's- awesome. Such, uh, yeah. I don't think a lot of, I, I don't think the average person maybe does that. No, because it kind of freaks,
2: uh, it kind of freaks artists out when like they're like, I've never heard my lyrics read back to me. This, like, they kind of kind of hits them, and I don't know if yeah. anybody else has actually put the lyrics up to read them like you have too. That's really, that's really cool. You've done that, so you have some reference. Because <laughs> I have a heck of a time remember. I, I can, rem- I can sing my lyrics like you said earlier. Yeah, the muscle memory. I can spit them out. But if I yeah. were to think about my lyric verse one, verse two, I, I probably couldn't recite ninety percent of our songs. But uh, I agree. In this. In this continuation of, of a bridge. So, so thank you for helping me. Uh, <laughs> the, there's single piano notes that happen here with these really cool pre-delayed vocals. They're kind of swirling around. And there's some inter- interesting new synth sounds that we haven't heard in the track yet that come mm-hmm. on this, uh, what I'm calling the continuation of the bridge, almost like a third pre-chorus. And uh, you read yeah. some of the lyrics. I'll read the whole thing here. Uh, changing faces, slurring phrases nothing changes in your waist I don't want to wake up in and that last line there is just sung by you alone and it just gives this like uh, personal touch feeling before boom you're in chorus 3 and now the full band is in for the first time it's no longer just you and the synth and the vocal on the first two lines the full band's in and for the first time the big guitars are in here (laughs) Now you got the big stereo guitars. That's cool. And is that that's kind of what you're talking about here. The end of the song just just builds to this
0: finally pays off. Yeah, uh, they get like a little taste of it in the bridge because, you know, there is, you know, more of a, a fullness there. But then that last chorus is really what hits and it makes it so worth it because I think what's what's difficult to do. And it's, it's super rare that I'll, I'll, I'll compliment myself, but it wasn't it wasn't even really just it wasn't just me, obviously. It was the whole squad together. But I think one thing that we did really well on this song that is difficult to do is that we maintained tension building throughout the whole song and like never let the release valve off. So once you did finally get to that, it actually does pay off as opposed to just being like, why did they wait so fucking long to get to this final chorus? You know, having that moment where we're just about to give it to you at the end of that first chorus, and then it kind of drops back into that second uh, second verse. And that's my favorite thing because live, you feel it. You feel that everyone's been waiting. You can feel it, that it's just been like slowly building up in everyone in in the audience, that everybody's been waiting for this moment to just fully let go and lose their shit. Me too. At that point, I'm like, I'm ready for it. I'm ramping up. I've done it a thousand times. I know it's coming, but still every single time, the next time, like when it, when it finally happens, it's just like, It feels euphoric. It's awesome. Well,
2: and the song's only three minutes and 25 seconds, so it's not like it's this super, super long six-minute song that takes forever to get somewhere. You know, it happens. It feels like it happens pretty quickly. But, yeah, I think that tension, I think that's what makes this song special because, and it's funny, when these guitars came in, I actually had to go back when I first heard them and listen to the first and second chorus and say, wait, were the guitars there buried back somewhere? No, they're not there Mm -hmm. at all. They don't come into the third chorus. And uh, the third chorus, uh, the lyrical structure is all the same. Your wasteland, your wasteland. I don't want to wake up in your wasteland, your wasteland. No, I don't want to wake up in your wasteland. And then what I'm calling the post-chorus, this even gets heavier. Now it goes halftime.
0: Yeah.
2: Because the big crash symbol comes back in. Everything gets super, super loud here, and it's kind of like the, the kitchen sink moment, I call it. Everything is, is, yeah. is now is now thrown in. Uh, the lyric is changing faces. Um, and then at the same time you're saying in your wasteland, those four oo's, ooh, 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 backing yeah. vocals are are are, 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 are also coming, there. Are also there during that part, which is which is cool. Uh, then you say slurring phrases. I don't want to wake up in here. And then you say nothing changes. And after that, the four oohs uh, come back. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Around this time, uh, those staccato delayed synth sounds from the second half of the bridge—they come back for the post-chorus. Yeah, it was weird. Like, is that something Andrew came up with? I've always wondered about sounds like that. Does does the producers sit around and and go through a bank of of a thousand sounds and goes, that's the one, or do they have something in mind that they've created, or do you remember if that was a created sound or something was on, on, on in a keyboard bank somewhere?
0: I'm gonna assume that was in a bank because. He just, cool he sound. has like, he has crazy, he has crazy banks and he would whip sounds out all the time. And it would just be like, Oh, I think this, this would be the vibe. But yeah, between him and, and my drummer, Will, they're, they're both amazing producers and they're um they just, they both are kind of a, Andrew specifically has like, just like a massive sound bank at the time. And he would always just bring out these, these crazy, these crazy awesome sounds that really shaped the personality of the track. So yeah. Um, yeah, I assume that w- I assume it was in the sound bank, but everything, the whole song was recorded and built in one day. There was no post-production. I mean, there was drums recorded. That was it. Like yeah. we're, we're recorded later, I think. Um, I don't even know. It actually might not have even been live drums at this point. I can't I can't actually remember.
2: It all sounds programmed to me. The only thing I, I think
0: it was programmed. Yeah, I,
2: I think the only thing maybe was was maybe the the symbols may have been overdubbed those big crash symbols i don't know if that was uh because those sound real to me but uh yeah the you used a word a moment ago you said just the personality and the and this everything here i called it the kitchen sink moment there's a lot of personality that's going on here with the the layers of the synth and those sounds are are, are really cool uh the last line here you say in your waist and i don't want to wake up and wake Mm -hmm. up is sung alone by yourself and it ends with just a single synth key at the same time you say that and the tracks the tracks done yeah and so this was done as you said kind of in a day and you kind of whipped it together and you you believed in the song initially when did the other the other guys get on board andrew and everybody that were like okay we got something here
0: I think well, I think Andrew, um, Andrew and Nolan definitely believed it. You know, they were writing on it. Um, I think, you know, once we started playing it live, obviously the fan reaction. Once the album dropped, everybody was like, oh, my God, Wasteland. Oh, my God, Wasteland. It was like 90 percent of of the song titles that were shouted out when the full album dropped was were wasteland, wasteland, wasteland. Did, did you
2: say I told you so to your band members? Oh, I've me. i say it I'm like I say it <laughs> once a month. I say it all the time.
0: I never good, forget good. it. Get, really really like, give it,
2: really give it to them. Stick it to them.
0: I don't have like, you know, I'm the only girl in this in this in this operation a lot of the time. Uh we actually have some some women on our management team now, which is awesome. And like it's just, you know, there's some women at our label, but for a vast majority of the time we had like a male manager Male bandmates, mo- all male touring crew. So uh, yeah, you got, had you had your I, was, I told you
2: moment. I yeah, I
0: it. needed it. You know, I was waiting <laughs> for it. I was like, I need one. Give me one. And I am like, I am the less musically talented of the group. It's just a reality. I just don't know as much. I don't know about as much about producing. I don't know as much about any particular instrument. I am mostly emotion and lyrics and top line you know and melody and that's that's my thing it's it's more emotional and and all based on feeling and it's way less technical so there's a lot of times where i'm just you know not right and i'm okay with that um this was the moment where i was like there we go i know what i'm talking about and and it you know going back to what you said about the fans and the fans are the ones that make you famous That is so true because when we wrote the song, I was like, our fans will love this. I know that they will love this song. And that was what made me push so hard for it. Is because I was like, I know they'll connect to this.
2: Yeah. Well, give yourself a little more credit. You 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 know more than I think you're giving yourself credit for. You're you're <laughs> you're, you're, you're very in, in, intelligent when it comes to music. And I want to thank you for for sitting in today and and taking the time to to, to be on the show. Yeah. And uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you got a new record uh, coming out, July 23rd, yes. called Fever. And uh, if there's anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with at this point, uh, let us have it.
0: Yeah, it's just that Um, our latest song again and again, it just came out. And uh, and then fever. Yeah, fever comes out. But remember, guys, that fever is only the first half. It's going to be fever, blank. and I love seeing everybody's guesses online about what they think the second word is. And actually, a bunch of people have already gotten it. Um, I won't tell you if you get it right, but I'd love to see to see your guesses. So I know what it is. It's it's blister (laughs) fever blister. Yeah.
2: (laughs) No, that's not it. Um, well, that's cool. Any any touring plans coming up for the band?
0: Yes, we are actually announcing those, uh, I think, really, r- really soon. I think the announce is coming sometime in July. So you will be you'll be hearing from us again really soon for the first time in like two years, which is awesome.
2: Awesome. Well, congratulations on all your success. And, and again, thank you for uh, thank being you. on the show.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
2: And listen to something about the Beatles now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.
0: As we near the end of the
2: show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's band you might not know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only. And bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Winter Haven. They're a four piece pop punk band from Flagstaff, Arizona, with Jack Hernandez on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, Brendan Jeffrich on lead guitar, Colton Henderson on bass, and Nick Shearer on drums and vocals. Here's a snippet of their song, Ted Cruz. with Chris and Chris.
1: Subject matter-wise, I thought this was pretty interesting, especially when Chrissy brought up that thought that you have when you're a young band or a young solo artist that you're going to sign to a record label and that's going to be the solution to everything. And all of a sudden, you're going to become a star. You you kind of have this idea when you're younger that that's the way things work. And I didn't know so much if... Newer artists still thought that way. I know that growing up, we thought that way. You signed to a label and things are going to happen, man. But apparently, Chrissy, uh, being a younger artist, also experienced that.
2: Yeah, you know, and I I had seen it from before even getting signed to our first major label, Capital, which is funny. She used that as a reference in the episode. It made me, made me laugh a little bit. But I had seen a lot of bands get money put into them and and fail. Uh, You know, I remember all getting signed to Interscope and and just, uh, you know, things just didn't you just because you're on a major doesn't mean you're going to sell a million records. But your chances uh, definitely back then were were great. We're better than not being, you know, at least you you had your foot in the door. But I do know that uh, I'll never forget when we were first got signed to Capitol, the president at the time, Gary Gersh. He had signed a band called Triple Fast Action out of Chicago. He loved this band. Couldn't he would go into marketing meetings and just try to fire up the label. He'd push this band, push this band. They put millions of dollars into Triple Fast Action. I think the band sold 10,000 records roughly. They just couldn't they couldn't break. And here she is and it's funny having her talk about getting wined and dined by the suits at Feel by Ramen. I remember that. I remember uh, capital records taking us to Dodgers baseball games and taking us to to Magic Mountain theme park and to these expensive dinners and and being enamored by it but at the same time we always kind of had a head about us kind of like knew that this was a lot of pomp and circumstance that was going on that uh, you know just because we're on a major doesn't mean we're going to sell two million records
1: Right, right. And I think in her example, she was saying that it was some other label that was trying to wine and dine, but maybe Fueled by Ramen is more like the, here's what we're going to do. We're going (laughs) to lay it out for you. And that makes sense from what I've always known of FBR. Um, And I also thought it was interesting... At the same time, she was referencing, just as you and I have talked about, that the game has changed. Like, bands and artists can blow up because of TikTok and things like that, things on the internet. And if you're not a part of that, if you're like, nah, man, that's not for me or whatever, you're going to get left behind. Whether you like it or not, you're going to get left behind if you're not paying attention to the way that people are consuming and discovering new bands and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I remember the dawn of streaming and the dawn of iTunes and stuff like you could have been like, nah, man,
2: we're just going to sell CDs and you would have got left behind. You you would have. And, uh, you know, YouTube, the, the word YouTube or the phrase YouTube sensation, that was kind of the first platform that came along where, yeah, you were getting these people that are getting 5, 10, 15, 20 million hits on a video that was going viral and they were starting to get advertisers that were coming around and they became a, a YouTube sensation. And that, of course, has, has now moved on to, uh, as you. Said TikTok and, and and all these other uh, platforms. That was one of the things that that I always try to do. my Our band always try to do was be forward thinkers and keep up with the technology and not just kind of you know turn a blind eye to it and kind of try to pay attention to it. Even though you know I'm a middle aged guy to look at something like TikTok, it seems like it's so foreign, but uh, it's it's such a useful tool. It's easy to get disheartened
1: by the changing times and things but you, if if you want to be relevant you can't you can't get disheartened you got to be like okay I got to learn how to use TikTok or I got to learn how to use whatever the next thing is after that. You know? Right.
2: And things are changing now probably faster than, than than they ever have. It seems like every every month there's something new. The other thing I thought that was really interesting, Chris, was that while referencing all that that we're talking about with being disillusioned with the labels and all this, that's what the song Wasteland is about. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And uh, when it comes to the
2: the song itself, I thought an
1: interesting thing about this song is like that anti-climax uh, you know there, there's a couple of those where you feel like it's gonna explode you're gonna have this big thing and then it drops off yeah and it's a cool use of dynamics that makes an impact in such a different type of way than you might be used to especially in rock music you're always waiting for that that big chorus you could wait like they did in this song and just like she said. It hits that much harder and the drop feels massive is the way she put it and it pays off and it feels good i love that she said that the song always makes her feel like she's falling in love when she performs it live uh that's a that's a cool way (laughs) of describing that feeling on stage when you're having that connection with the audience and also just the song the music itself It's just making you feel
2: so good. Well, I think that's what makes the song unique is, you know, after that first chorus, we're calling it, if, you know, it feels like it's ramping up, that snare drum's going, if it would have launched into something, this might've just been another song. It's that tension that keeps you to the, pretty much the two minute mark, the last minute of this song that, uh, as she talks about, that's where it explodes. And I always go, it's important when i'm when i'm doing these episodes i always go and look at live performances of the song i've always uh, thought of things in a live setting because lesson jakes always been a live band and i always go and watch the live videos and man when this song hits at the end the the audience loses it
1: i also thought that it was cool to hear chrissy talk about lyrics being her favorite thing in the world because she's got a great voice and she's got awesome melodies but then so i would have guessed that she was a, you know we 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 tend to lean as melody people or lyric people. Of course, we got to be both of those things. But I wouldn't have guessed that she was a lyric-obsessed person. You know, uh, and I don't I don't know why I would assume that she'd have been like you and I.
2: (laughs) I think that we're both melody people, right? Yeah. Well, and she was very humble at the end. She says, you know, I don't know as much as as, as the rest of these guys. And I told her, I don't think she gives herself enough credit. She was pretty in depth here. You know, we were talking about different sounds coming in and the harmonies being panned and 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 she gets it. You know, I, I don't think she gives herself enough credit. Not to mention the fact that she was the person who knew that
1: this song would be a hit among their fans it would have been a fan favorite and maybe it didn't sound like anyone else maybe some other people were like eh, i don't know but it sounded like she was the person with the vision on this song and she was right
2: yeah you know it was just uh, an, a, a, as we've heard on this show it was another album track buried at number nine out of 12 and it's become the signature song one of the signature songs for this band definitely from the from this record
1: yeah man like i always say which i feel like this is becoming my catchphrase but that was another great episode
2: well, yeah, man, that was a really fun episode, and uh, I'd like to bring up this month's fundraiser for July. It's for Star Ovarian Cancer Foundation. Uh, you can head over to com and uh, give anything, $1, $5, 10 it goes a long way, and we've uh, featured cancer uh, fundraisers a number of times on the podcast just due to the fact that cancer affects so many people, so again, please head over to com and uh, chip in whatever you can. We, we really appreciate it. We absolutely do appreciate it, as do all the foundations
1: and organizations that we fundraise for on here. So, yeah, if you can go to to com and uh, you can help out some ovarian cancer research this month, which you'd be hard pressed to find a better fundraiser than that. And uh, Chris, what else we got going on? You still writing custom songs or did you give that up?
2: I I certainly am. And if you'd like to uh, hear a little bit of my work, Chris is going to roll the most ridiculous thing you've heard in a while right now. Actually, you don't want to hear me rap. Pick any other style. Trust me. I could even write a ballad for your anniversary or your
0: birthday.
2: Looking for a voiceover, jingle, or music for your business, podcast, or TV show? Well, look no further. I'm your guide. Yeah, and if you'd like your very own custom song for you, that special someone, or just yourself, it could even be, even be a treat for yourself, hit me up for more info at kristamakes at gmail.com. And uh, if you don't mind, give me give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. I'd, I'd, re- I'd really appreciate that. I'm following you. I know you are. I will follow you into the dark. So uh, the other thing is... That we we've been talking about a lot lately because it's it's been a lot of fun doing these after party episodes. Chris, we have a VIP program called Supporting Cast, which you could uh, find over at chrisdemakes.com. That'll take you right there. We got different tiered uh, programs. We got a bunch of merchandise in the store. We got a really cool uh, uh, pullover hoodie and a a T-shirt, and they're really comfortable and they're not cheap and they look good. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They are high quality. It's actually a zip up, Chris. It's a zip up. I know you. Sorry, it's a zip. up I know you called a a pullover. Maybe someday we'll have pullovers, too. But for now, it's a zip-up hoodie with uh, the Krista Makes a podcast logo on it, and it's comfy as hell. And uh, yeah, and if you join the supporting cast, you're helping out your buds. You help us continue making this podcast and bringing you amazing episodes like this week's episode with Chrissy from Against the Current, which was incredible.
2: Yeah. I want to thank Chrissy Costanza from Against the Current for sitting in on the podcast this week. That was a lot of fun, and we'll see you next week.